Hi, welcome to the Lakeside Church Weekend Messages podcast. My name is Jacob. I'm a creative arts protege here at Lakeside, and I'm super excited that you're listening with us. I want to take a quick second to let you know how Lakeside is responding to COVID-19, also known as the coronavirus. We believe that we are called to be carriers of hope and courage during times like these, and we are also called to respect our governing bodies as Christ followers. Our government has asked us to postpone our gatherings as we respond globally to COVID-19, and so we've decided to pre-record some of our gatherings so we can still worship together at home. This feed will still only feature the message portion of the gatherings, but if you want to experience our gatherings in full while you're at home, we will be live streaming them at our normal service times on the weekends, and you'll be able to watch past weekends if you missed a gathering on our website. You can find links for these videos and updated information about everything we as a church are doing to respond to COVID-19 at lakesidechurch.com and on our Facebook page. We love you, and we are super excited to see you all again soon. Yeah, the Lord will shine his light on me. The Lord will shine his light on us, all of us, you guys. I mean, we know, we know these days the world is broken. And it's broken in all the normal ways, and then it's broken in this really specific way where we're all closed up in our own places because of the coronavirus. We know it's broken, but Easter's happening. I heard a lot of commentators this week say, Easter's not going to happen. They, they thought because buildings were closed and the church wouldn't gather, that the church wouldn't celebrate Jesus, that the resurrection was a non-issue this year. Not true. Resurrection's happening. Easter is happening. And we're all gathered together online in all of our various places to demonstrate that and to celebrate Christ in the midst of that. So I'm grateful that you're here. Before we look into scripture today, can I just say thank you to our music team? We made a commitment when the stay at order, uh, when, the, when the stay at home orders came down, we said we need to, we need to honor that. We need to honor our government leaders and our officials. That's what God calls us to do in the scripture. And so let's do that and let's figure out a way to present all of this content, all of this uh, truth about Christ that we want to talk about and we want to sing about and we want to celebrate. Let's do it from our various places and see how it goes. And I, every, every one of the songs we're doing today, everybody who lives in distinct places has stayed in those distinct places to be able to perform that music. And you guys in the music team, I just have to tell you, I'm moved. I just, I'm amazed at what you've created in the name of Christ and in order to honor Christ and to bring us all toward Christ today. So thank you all for the work you've done. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us like you do. You are good and faithful and holy and uh, we honor you. And Father, you sent your son Jesus into our world to bust right into our world, to make changes for us, to revolutionize the world for us and with us eventually. And so thank you for that. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that Jesus willingly went to the cross for us. And Lord, thank you that when they buried him, death could not keep him, but he came out of the grave. And we came together today to celebrate resurrection, to celebrate life in Christ. We're grateful for everything you have done for us in Christ, everything you're doing for us through him today and everything you're planning to do, Lord. We're grateful to you for it all. We ask that you would lead us and inspire us and teach us and transform us today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Every human being, whoever met Jesus, left with a story. There was a woman that met Jesus next to a well in Samaria, and they talked for a while, and when she left, she left with a story. 
There was a man who had been born blind, never able to see, and he bumped into Jesus, and Jesus sent him to a pool on the other side of town. He said, go wash your eyes and come back. And when he came back seeing, he came back with a story to tell. There was a man named Lazarus. He was a friend of Jesus, and he had gotten sick and died. And Jesus wasn't there when he died, and uh, so when Jesus finally arrived, his two sisters, Lazarus' two sisters, Martha and Mary, came out to meet Jesus separately, individually. And when Martha got there, she, she had this little speech, this little story she had to tell Jesus. She said, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then Mary came a little bit later, and she met Jesus on the road when he was coming in toward town. And she said, same speech, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Such an amazing statement of faith and doubt all rolled into one. Like, I believe that you could have saved him, but I don't believe you can save him now. He already died. They had a story to tell. But then, of course, a few minutes later, Jesus got to Lazarus' tomb, and Jesus called him out, and, and Lazarus came out. And Lazarus came out of the tomb with a story to tell about Jesus. Every human being, whoever has met Jesus has left with a story. Today we came together because we want to share the story of Easter. We want to share the story of the resurrection. It's a fascinating story. It's a story with a lot of, a lot of running and a lot of crying and a lot of laughter. It's an amazing story. And one of the versions of that story, one of the tellings of that story comes in the Gospel of John. And I want to read that for you today. If you have your Bible, go ahead and pull it out. And uh, you can follow along with me if you have your phone or a tablet or if you're watching on your computer, you can pull this up on your computer on the YouVersion Bible app. And we've got notes in there and we've got some comments in there and we've got the scriptures pulled out for you there so you can find those and follow along with us. Let me read for you in John chapter 20, starting at verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Parentheses, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. What a remarkable story. Here's Mary. We don't know hardly anything about her up until the last week of Jesus' life. And here she is. She shows up at the tomb first before any of the other disciples got there, before any other, uh, of the other women that followed Jesus got there. She shows up. It's in an hour that some of you are still sound asleep in your bed. Some of you don't even know this hour of the morning exists. She gets up and it's still dark. And she gets to the tomb, and in the gloom of the garden, she looks across, and she can see the tomb, and she sees that the stone has been rolled away. And we go, yeah, right on, Jesus rose from the grave. But that was not her response. Her response was to turn around. She didn't even look at what was going on in there. She might have found angels had she stopped. But she turned around, and she runs back to where the disciples are staying. She tells Peter and John, they've taken my Lord away from the tomb, and I don't know where they put him. 
Every human who has ever met Jesus has left with a story. And here's the story of Mary Magdalene. They've taken away my Lord from the tomb, and I don't know where they've put him. And Peter and John hear this, and I don't know where the other disciples are, but Peter and John, they hear this, and they get up and they run. And I love this part of the story. They're both running, but John's younger and faster, and so he runs ahead of Peter. And he gets to the tomb, but he's a little timid, and so he's not really ready to go inside. He just kind of looks from the outside, because tombs are a little freaky, let's just face it. Meanwhile, Peter finally arrives. He's huffing and puffing. He's older, but he's bolder. So he walks straight into the tomb and he looks around and then he scratches his head because he can't figure out what's going on. And then finally, John, the more timid, the faster, but the more timid one, he comes in, he looks around and it says he saw and he believed. Now we look at that and we go, cool. That's when the disciples started to believe in Jesus. They knew he was resurrected from the grave. And yet the very next thing that it says is this, verse 10, then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And it doesn't say they ran back. It doesn't say they were overjoyed. It doesn't say, it doesn't say they, were, they were so excited about what was going on. They just went back to the place where they were staying. It sounds like they walked. It sounds like they walked slowly. It sounds like they, they're like, I don't know what to make of this. And how do you reconcile that with, when it, with what it says? John came into the tomb and it says he saw and believed. Here's what they believed. They believed what Mary said. Remember, they're probably still sleeping. They're, they're in bed, and here comes Mary, and she's knocking on the door. She said, they've taken away my Lord from the tomb, and I don't know where they put him. And they wake up like, oh, no, someone took Jesus' body. What are we going to do? And that's when they run down. And when they get there, they look around. They go, sure enough, she's right. They've taken our Lord away from the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So they turn around, they walk away. It's too early to ask anybody. So they turn around, they walk away. They didn't even seem to tell anybody. They didn't even seem to go and wake up the other disciples. At least that's not recorded in the story. Why not? Because an empty tomb is a non-story. We sometimes, we, we want to celebrate the empty tomb, but an empty tomb is a non-story. In Israel, there were a lot of empty tombs. They would bury a body, and then after, after all the, the flesh had decayed, then they would just have bones. They would take the bones out, put them in a box called an ossuary, and they would set that aside someplace else where they had stacks of those, and that made room for somebody, else, somebody else's body to be laid in the tomb when they died. Empty tombs were common. An empty tomb is a non-story. The only thing that's a story is if there's a resurrection. But the disciples didn't believe that part yet. They didn't know about that part yet. So they walked back to the place where they were staying. And that leaves Mary. And Mary's sticking to the story that she first developed when she got to the tomb that morning. Look at verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. The disciples left her. She stands outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? Well, they've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Why not? Because she thought he was dead. She saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. 
She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Now walk back through that story for a moment. She's standing outside the tomb and she's crying and she doesn't know what to make of it. But she, she still got this story in her head. They've taken my Lord away from the tomb and I don't know where they put him. And while she's crying, she just bends down to look inside the tomb and she sees two angels inside and they're compassionate angels. And they, they say, woman, why are you crying? Now, all of that's just a fascinating story in and of itself. But she's thinking, why are you asking me why I'm crying? My, my Lord has been crucified. My teacher, my loved one, he's been crucified, nailed to a cross, dead, buried, and gone. And now he's really gone because he's, his body's not here. That's why I'm crying. Why are you asking me that? And then she turns her back on the angels, which is just bizarre. I mean, if you saw two angels in a tomb, wouldn't you want to kind of figure out what was going on? She turns her back on the angels and she bumps into the gardener. And the gardener's a compassionate man as well. He says, he says ma'am, uh, why are you crying? And she's like, enough with the people asking me why I'm crying. I'm crying because they've taken my Lord and I don't know where they've put him. And then the gardener says, well, well, who are you looking for? And she gives that speech to the gardener. And then the gardener says to her, Mary. And Mary looks up and she recognizes the voice and she knows her master knows her name. She knows her rabbi knows her name. And she recognizes his voice. And she, she recognizes the way that he says her name. He says, Mary, and she collapses. And she's, now she's on the ground and she's holding on to his feet. So much so that Jesus is, is like, don't touch me. Don't touch me because there's coronavirus. Oh, no, no, that's not. That's, no, don't touch me. Don't touch me because I have not ascended to my father yet. I need to ascend to my father and your father. Go back to the disciples. Tell them, I'm going to God. I'm going to my God and your God. And tell them that, and I'll meet them later. And Mary gets up, and what does she do? She runs back to the place where they are. She's got a story, because every human who ever met Jesus left with a story. Now she's got a story to tell. An empty tomb is a non-story, but a resurrected Savior is transformational. Every human being... Whoever met Jesus left with a story. There's a story of that woman who met Jesus in Samaria next to a well. Jesus is sitting at the well and the woman comes up to Jesus and he asks her if she'd give him a drink. It was weird because he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan and they don't get along and men don't talk to women and that's not working. And, and yet here's this Jewish man asking this Samaritan woman for a drink and she perceives that there's something different about him. So she begins to ask him questions that she's had about her faith and about her religion. And Jesus answers her questions, and in the course of answering her questions, he asks her a few questions and shines a spotlight on her life. And she leaves, and she tells a story of the people that were around her in her town, everyone who knew her in that town. She said this story, Come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could it be that this is the Messiah? Every human who ever met Jesus had a story to tell. There was this man who was born blind, 
And he bumped into Jesus, and Jesus made some mud and put it in his eyes, and he said, go down to the pool of Siloam on the other side of town and wash your eyes out. The man did that, and he came back, and he could see. And it made a big commotion in, in Jerusalem because this, this man didn't lose his sight later in life. It wasn't like they had some remedy for this. He'd, he'd been born blind. And so it caused all this commotion. And not only did Jesus heal him, but he healed him on the Sabbath day. And so the Pharisees were really ticked off about that because they liked order and law and doing it right and doing it by the book. They didn't mind Jesus healing so much, but he always tended to do it on the Sabbath day. So here's this man coming who's been blind and now he can see. And so the Pharisees said, what, what do you have to say about this man, Jesus? You know, we, we think he's a sinner. Because no one, no one, unless they were a sinner, no one would do this on the Sabbath day. But every human being who ever met Jesus left with a story to tell. And so this man gave them his story. He said, I, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. I don't know if he's a good man or not. I only know this. Once I was blind, but now I can see. Every human being who ever bumped into Jesus left with a story. There's Lazarus. Lazarus died and the sisters had notified Jesus that Lazarus was sick and they expected Jesus would come and that he would heal him before something got worse and, and yet Jesus delayed and he didn't get there. So the sisters came out and they had their story all rehearsed. They had exactly the same statements from one sister to the other. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And the implication is, you delayed, and you didn't make it, and we're not happy with you today because of that, because our brother has died. And Jesus goes to the tomb. It's been four days since the body was buried. Jesus goes to the tomb, and he calls out, Lazarus, come out! And from outside the tomb, you could hear some rumblings inside, and no one knows exactly what's going on, but pretty soon, Lazarus comes out of the tomb, and here's how the Bible describes his story. It says, the dead man came out. Do you love the irony of that? The dead man came out. Every human who ever met Jesus left with a story. What's your story? If you've ever come in contact with Jesus, if you've ever bumped into Jesus, if you've ever met Jesus, you've come away with a story. What's your story? We're embarking on a series today, which we're going we're gonna to do for the next five weekends after this. It's a series we're calling Transformational Questions. For about 20 years, I've been collecting questions that I think are transformational questions. Some of the greatest thinkers in the history of the world have been people that asked questions. Einstein was a question asker. Plato was a question asker. Jesus was a question asker. He loved to ask questions because he knew that, that questions were transformational. Questions could lead to change someone's life. So about 20 years ago, I started collecting questions that I ran across. I'm like, oh, that's a transformational question. That's the kind of question that would change your life. And we're going to go through a series of asking these questions. And the first question we want to ask is this, what's your story? Because if you're a human being who has bumped into Jesus, you left with a story. What's your story? What do you tell when you go, this is what my life is like. This is how Jesus changed my life. What's that story? There's an amazing power that comes with stories. Uh, there's a writer. Uh, his name is Ben Okri. He, he wrote this about stories. He said, beware the stories you read or tell. 
Subtly, at night, beneath the waters of consciousness, they are altering your world. You ever think about how powerful the stories are in your life, the stories that you live, the stories that you tell, the stories you tell yourself about yourself or about others? The stories you tell will change your life. And the story you tell about Jesus will change your life. What's your story? The woman at the well had a story. The blind man had a story. Lazarus had a story. Mary Magdalene had a story. And eventually, Peter and John had a story about Jesus, and he changed their lives. What's your story? Back in 2014, we spent some time dealing with this question. Some of these transformational questions we're going to talk about in this season uh, are questions that we, we've talked about in various settings before. This time we're pulling them all together in one series, but we've asked some of these questions before. So in 2014, uh, we asked this question, what's your story? Tell us your story. And at that point, we were looking into the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 20. And it's a place where uh, the apostle Paul makes this statement. It's his story. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's his story. And six years ago, when we were telling this part of the story of Christ, we counted up the words in that verse in the New International Translation, and we said, look, there's 41 words in that story. Can you tell your story of Christ in 41 words? And we, we threw it out there. Well, this week, I knew we're coming back to this question, what's your story? And so I put it out on Facebook. I said, hey, tell me your story. And I, 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 I didn't remember how many words there were in Galatians 2.20, so I, just, I threw it out there like this, like, give us your story in 30 words. Just, just 30 words. And so people began to write their story. And then somebody wrote back and they said, hey, back in 2014, I wrote my 41-word story. And they shared their story. They still had it. Why? Because every person, every human who meets Jesus leaves with a story. And those stories change us. Those stories are transformational for us. And they, they alter the course of our life. They change the path that we're on in our lives. And so we remember those stories and we save up those stories. So I asked so the people who are my friends on Facebook, I'm like, hey, can you, can you just tell me your story? And so I got some, I got some of our 41 words stories together and some people gave me other numbers of words. It doesn't really matter how many words there are. But here's some of the stories I got. Robin said this. She said, age 12, said yes to Jesus. Age 16 said, I can do this myself. Age 19, got married. Age 24, son is born. Age 26, left marriage. Age 30, got married. Jesus waits. Age 38 said, yes, grace. Thank you, Jesus. What a story. Robert wrote this, Robert-centered life, disaster. Surrendered to God, accepted Jesus as my Redeemer. God-centered life, an amazing, perpetual, dreamlike existence of wonder and abundant love, grace, and fulfillment. Kirk wrote this way. It all began 17 years ago as a plot to get me to Couples Cafe at Lakeside. The journey since has been sweet and bitter. I strive and often fail to remain close to him. And Graham wrote this, although I had friends, I was lonely. 
I was invited to a youth camp where I was introduced to someone who would always be a friend no matter what. His name is Jesus. He's always with me. I'm lonely no more. Hashtag 41 words. It doesn't matter how many words there are. Every human being who's ever met Jesus left with a story. And it's not about an empty tomb. The empty tomb is a non-story. It's about a resurrected Savior. Because a resurrected Savior changes everything. A resurrected Savior is transformational. He changes everything. And that's why we celebrate Easter, and that's why we worship Christ, because He changes everything. And it doesn't matter how many words there are in your story. It's helpful to write it as an elevator pitch. It's helpful to write it in as few words as possible to go, that's the crux of my story. But even the stories that we've told today came with a different number of words. The Samaritan woman, her story was 16 words. Come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? The blind man told his story in 22 words where he said roughly this. I don't know if he's good or bad. I don't know if he's a sinner or not. I only know this. I once was blind, but now I see. Lazarus' story was five words. The dead man came out. Mary Magdalene's story, five words. I have seen the Lord. What's your story? If you've come to the place where you trust in Jesus, where you've met him, where you've learned to know who he is, his story is changing your life. His story is changing your story. What's your story? Father in heaven, I pray for us today. I'm so grateful to you for everything you've done for us through, through Jesus. And now I ask, Lord, for all of us who are hearing this story, would you uh, plant that deep into our heart? Would you plant it into our soul? Would you even move us to take some time to say, now, now what's my story exactly? Lord, I know my story comes from neighbors who loved me and cared for me and, and invited me to come to church to hear the story of Jesus so that my story would be changed. Thank you for them. Lord, lead us, guide us towards you, change our story, change our lives, change our trajectory in the name of Christ and for the sake of Christ and for the glory of Christ. Amen. Thank you again for listening. I just want to encourage and remind you again that these are the times that we as Christ followers get to shine and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Rest assured that his promises will never fail us and that he is in control. I would also love to invite you one more time to check out one of our live streams this weekend. We believe that community is important and these live streams are a great way to connect with your family and friends and worship God while we are all at home. Have a great week. Go with God.